Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. It's Friday. It's March 1st. Happy Friday. Happy March. Spring begins this month. It's going to feel like it on Sunday. It's supposed to be a nice weekend day to be outside for once. Hope you have a chance to enjoy it. Also, happy Women's History Month. Later in the show, we'll have today's 10-question Women's History Month quiz. Well, we're only doing one Women's History Month quiz, but it's today's 10-question quiz. We're doing these 10-question quizzes each day during the membership drive. Get two in a row right and win a Brian Lair Show baseball cap. That's coming up. Also, Stephen Dubner from Freakonomics and more. But here's how we'll start. One of the big stories in New York City this week has been the discovery of two makeshift shelters, right? One in Queens, one in the Bronx. You've heard this, where many, many migrants from Africa have been staying. 74 beds in the basement of a furniture store in South Richmond Hill in Queens. 45 more beds between the first floor and the basement of another store on East Kingsbridge Road in the Fordham section of the Bronx, where the migrants were apparently paying around $300 a month in rent to the owner, same store owner of both places, as I understand it, an immigrant from Africa himself. The buildings department said these were unsafe spaces for many reasons, including a concentration of e-bikes, space heaters, hot plates, and extension cords. Now, Most of the coverage of this has been about either the illegal status of this makeshift housing or criticism of Mayor Adams for imposing a 30-day limit for single adults in the city's official shelters. But we want to do something a little different, consistent with what we've been trying to do on this show through this whole asylum seeker period, not just tell the political story and debate it, which, of course, is important to do, and we do that too, but also to humanize the humans who've been coming to New York. What are the stories of the people going through this who the rest of us are debating? With us now for this conversation is Amaha Kasa, founder and director of the group African Communities Together, which describes itself as an organization working to help African immigrants to integrate socially, advance economically, and engage civically. I'm told that just yesterday, Amaha had a meeting with the mayor's office about these shelters and related issues. He was last here in January, some of you may remember, to describe the recent African migrant community generally, which outsiders were just beginning to realize was growing in addition to those from Latin America. Amaha, thanks for coming on again. Welcome back to WNYC. Glad to be back with you, Brian. Can you give us some basics as you understand them? How many people have been sleeping in each of these stores? Is it as reported as far as you know? And where do most of them come from? Um, Well, as you know, Brian, we have tens of thousands of new arrivals um, from primarily from West Africa, but from all over the continent, um, Mauritania, Senegal, Guinea, a uh, number of other, uh, Burkina Faso, another no, uh, uh, a, a number of other countries. Um, and we think that maybe 20 to 25 percent um, of the arrival of new, uh, new immigrants um, that's happened over the last year and a half, two years, um, 
our people from, uh, you know, from Africa, primarily West Africa, um, you know, along with their brothers and sisters from uh, Venezuela, from Central America, um, uh, from uh, the Caribbean. Um, so this story is news, right? This is something that came, uh, became public recently. Um, but African migrants um, living in makeshift housing, uh, living in spaces that were really never intended to be housing, um, has been happening for a long time. Um, and so uh, we're not in direct contact with, uh, you know, we've reached out to folks, um, you know, in the community to encourage folks who were, um, who've now lost whatever kind of makeshift housing that they, that they had and uh, makeshift and, as you said, you know, quite exploitative and dangerous uh, housing that they had um, uh, to support them. Um, but the truth is, for us and for other, you know, community-based organizations like us, there's very little that we can offer them. Um, you know, the, the, the you know, nobody um, is responding to this crisis on the scale that it it really requires. Yeah. Um, the the, the concentration of of e-bikes in both locations suggests many of the residents are working in the delivery business. How common would you say that is, or how else are these residents making a living? It's hugely common, Brian. Uh, I think um, the working in delivery is, uh, for many African immigrants, the first kind of uh, job that they hold, the first rung on the ladder. Um, it, you know, it's uh, sometimes people are working for delivery apps. Sometimes people are working for, you know, businesses themselves. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's it's uh, it's it doesn't require the capital that that you know driving a, a Uber or a cab does. Um, it's it's you know I think if you people look at the names on their you know the next time that they get a delivery, there's a pretty good chance, especially if they're in places like you know Harlem or the Bronx, that their delivery driver is uh, you know is a West African migrant. And you know what that makes me think? I mean, there's so much focus in the news driven by the mayor, on how much migrant services are costing the taxpayers. And that's fair to talk about. We have to talk about that. It's a real issue. But here we're talking about private sector housing, and the concentration of e-bikes suggests, as you were just describing, that people are earning a living in the private sector economy. This would all be the opposite of a story of dependency on government. Do you think that's accurate or important context to point out? A hundred percent. A lot of the conversation um, with, uh, you know, New York City government, but also the, the federal government, state government um, has been saying, how, you know, how can we get people to work? How can we get people to work? And our response has been, we're talking about people who flew across oceans, who walked across continents, um, who, you know, sort of uh, spent everything they had in their pockets for a shot at making a living that can support themselves uh, and their families. Um, mostly, we don't need to get people to work. We need to get them get out of the way. Um, if people can get um, uh, work authorization, which you know the federal government can can uh, can speed up, the you know state uh, city and state government can provide supports and and are providing supports for people to apply for those things. But ultimately, it's the federal government who determines how fast people get work authorized. They can even 
get better jobs, um, good jobs that are in, you know, the, where there's a high demand for workers like um, uh, uh, healthcare workers. We uh, started a program uh, to train people, uh, to give people uh, English as a second language training uh, that is specific to healthcare. And 27% of the people who applied for that program are um, recent arrivals. Um, some of them, or in all of those cases, they're, you know, their immigration case is still pending, but they're trying to work. Um, so I think, um, and if if people are able to do that, then they're going to be able to find better housing uh, in the private market. Um, uh, although obviously, you know, housing is an issue for all New Yorkers, uh, um, uh, immigrant, native born, long term newcomer. Um, running the group African Communities Together as you do, do you know the store owner who set up these living quarters? I see his name reported as Ibu Sar and that he's an African immigrant himself. Um, haven't encountered uh, haven't encountered um, uh, this business owner before. Um, you know, and you hear you do hear rumors. Um, uh, you know, I, I think certainly it's there's a common experience of people you know who might be. Uh, taken advantage of by people in their own communities, right? Because that's who they know. And obviously, it, you know, and often it's, you know, people who aren't so much better off than they are. But what I think what I really want to underscore is that most of the African migrants who've taken in other African migrants have done it out of concern and compassion, right? Um, and uh, as I, I think it's what's been underreported is, for example, um, the large number of African mosques and churches that have um, that have put people up, that have turned their sanctuaries into literal sanctuaries uh, for people, you know, for including fam especially families with, um, uh, you know, babies or young children who literally have nowhere else to go. Um, and when we're hearing reports that some of the uh, you know, that that not only are the official shelters turning people away, including both single adults and families, but that some of these kind of makeshift shelters that have been put together by the city of New York um, have had issues with being unhabitable, um, you know, where the, you know, during extreme temperatures, I think we should be looking, you know, there's, there's plenty of um, responsibility to share around. Um, you know, I think well, makeshift has been the response in many ways. Yeah. I mean, how do you think people should feel about this store owner? Like that he's exploiting fellow African immigrants, charging them rent for sleeping in dangerous and overcrowded conditions, or providing a needed service that the city government can't or won't provide, uh, or that some people might actually prefer to a city shelter with its problems and its rules, uh, you know, or anywhere along those spec uh, that spectrum. I think, as you say, it's it's a mixed uh, it's a mixed bag, right? And we obviously don't want. I mean, we've seen you know fire tragedies, you know, very recently uh, sure. harm our community, and so we don't want uh, people to be in danger. And you know, frankly, uh, you know, I think that if somebody is um, charging people money and at that scale, then there is certainly an element of taking advantage of people. Um, you know, again, most of the people, if you want to 
compare it to the people uh, that, you know, the the religious leaders, the the mosques and the churches that have been taking people in, they obviously haven't been um, uh, uh, charging people, but they've taken, that's obviously been costly and hard for them to do, right? And so we've been trying to uh, raise money to defray the costs for some of uh, for some of that. But, you know, really, the federal government is the only entity that has the resources to respond to something at this scale. Um, you know, the federal government should be providing support to the city government. Um, and we should not, uh, you know, what would this would look like in a good scenario is that people are provided vouchers they're able to take those and use that to 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 pay for real apartments um and then we would be creating a housing supply um that is decent and affordable for all new yorkers including yeah. the news ones listener asks in a text message is there a program that allows people who have an extra room to rent at low cost to african immigrants to do so there's no formal program like that, right? I think that, um, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, uh, community-based organizations have been informally connecting people uh, where those opportunities are. Um, uh, I think that that, is, that should be part of the solution. Um, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I think that there's, uh, sometimes it can be hard to get past the regulations uh, and bureaucratic hurdles, but I think this, um, We've got to figure out solutions like that. Well, We're going to see more, um, you know, non-solutions like what we've seen. Well, what was your city hall meeting yesterday like? Was it with the mayor himself or other officials? Or did you ask for certain things on behalf of the community? Anything you are at liberty to disclose? Well, there's been a series of meetings uh, being convened by uh, uh, the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs um, and then other commissions and agencies um, that have addressed topics including how do we speed up the process of getting people uh, work permits, how do we um, uh, uh, speed up uh, referrals and uh, assistance, um, how do we do uh, more coordinated advocacy uh, for what we need from the federal government? Um, and there have been some state and federal officials that have been part of those uh, conversations. Um, I mean, I think it's great that it's happening. I think that we're, you know, it, it would be it, the, the wheels of government grind very slowly at times. And so in some ways, we really needed um uh, this response a long time ago, but uh, we're glad that's that we're. I'm sorry that it takes you know kind of um, uh, crisis events like this to bring some of this invisible crisis to the surface and to get government to respond. But yeah, um, yeah. Amaha Kasa, founder and director of the group African Communities Together. Uh, yeah, as we say goodbye, I mean, just to reinforce what you just said. I think we forget sometimes that every one of the people coming has a story and a family, and the news media focuses on them only as problems to be solved too often. And yes, the number of recent arrivals presents policy problems. We can't uh, ignore that, but we need to keep the people in mind, too. So thank you for the work that you're doing and for coming on to help do that here. Yeah, thanks for shining a light on issues like this, Brian.